engineering, performance, and Cass Choate, who has been part of our engine performance expos, and I have worked with him in the past, and he is going to guide us on a conversation talking about diesel horsepower. Let's bring him into the show right now. Cass, welcome to the show. Welcome to Hidden Horsepower. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's a, a, a huge privilege to, to be uh, asked to be on the show, so thank you very much. Well, not only that, you're going to be educating me, definitely, and sounds like Keith, given his reference to the glow plug, maybe him too. <laughs> well, I think diesels are uh, the mystical part of uh, the internal combustion engine family. I think a lot of people are terrified of them because, you know, it's not the 350 Chevrolet that they're, you know, their dad and they grew up on. So it's not as scary as all that. Well, you're going to be the guy in charge, and we're going to pepper you with some questions, of course, about, uh, you know, how it all works. But I guess let's start off there and I would imagine our listeners to this podcast are going to be people who really want to delve deeply into what you know. I know you've got extensive knowledge and what you guys have been doing over there at Chode Engineering Performance is just trying to improve everything that exists. From what I know, like whatever there is, you're making it better. Yeah, that's definitely um, our niche in the industry. Um, we, you know, a lot of diesel owners out there are really happy with um what performance upgrades they can get through a tuner and um, taking a truck that may have been 360 horsepower, 375 horsepower from the factory and bumping it up another 100 horse and being in that sweet spot right there. That's kind of where most of the market is. Everybody that has a diesel truck um, pretty much has a tuner on it. Uh, it's just kind of synonymous when you get a truck because there's so much power that can be added uh, on a diesel uh, simply from a tuner. So it's not so much the power um, that, that the guys are after at that point. Uh, when they come to us, um, there is a lot of guys there that are that are wanting to know what bolt-on parts that can make it better, what internal components. But one of the main things is um, what can we do to make this thing last? Uh, because it makes great power, especially with you know uh, a tuner, maybe an exhaust, whatever it might be. Um, but what can we do to actually fix the uh, inerrant problems of the manufactured engine so we really revolve around focus focusing on uh, the insufficiencies of the engines uh, per the, whatever manufacturer it is and exactly you're not really related to any specific manufacturer you work with all which sounds great right Keith? yeah we we uh, go ford chevrolet dodge uh, duramax uh, Power Stroke, Cummins, um, and we're starting to get more into the, the lighter-duty market um, and some of the smaller diesels as well. What would you say some of the misconceptions are? Uh, you mentioned it's not your father's 350. I certainly know that experience, but I'm out there on the streets. I do street drags at Homestead Miami Speedway. Some of the fastest vehicles we have are these giant four-wheel drive trucks you're talking about. They're diesel-powered. they got great traction. They never turn a tire. But they run, they're fast, and people love them. So it seems like the fun market for diesel is coming on strong right now. What what would you say are some of the misconceptions or maybe old conceptions of diesel? I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I mean, if you go to SEMA, uh, of course, last year nobody went anywhere. But uh, if you went the year before that, <clears throat> you know, what was LS fast is now. Um, not that that's any less, but... 
it's definitely uh, six-door diesel trucks or lifted trucks, diesel, everything. Uh, so that's this market's really came on strong. And, and I think the reason for a lot of that is just, as you said, uh, the, the common misconception of diesel, who would want in their right mind uh, one of the old Oldsmobile, you know, diesel engines or the 6.2 liters, they, although they, albeit they, you know, they are dependable uh, as far as performance is concerned, um, they were they were loud. They had poor acceleration. Uh, they were smoky. Um, they didn't like to start in the cold. Uh, they were temperamental. If your fuel gelled, there was just so many reasons not to own a diesel. If you, and because the truth be known is, in the old days, they really didn't make any more power um, per se as far as the um, the towing niche market as what you might find in a big block. You know, if, if somebody had given me a the uh, choice between a 6.2 liter and a 454, um, you know, honestly, yeah, if I'm going to be towing with a lot, I'll probably go with a gasser every time. Uh, but nowadays, it's totally different. The technology for diesel has completely changed to what it was. It's, they're much quieter through uh, multi-tune injection. Um, they are much more efficient. They burn cleaner um, the, through uh, the upgraded uh, glow plug technology that came out. Uh, recently in the last five to seven years um, this you know instead of the old days of freezing your can off waiting for the thing come on wait to start kind of light you know you're sitting there and you're rubbing your hands together just waiting for the light to go off um, now it happens in three seconds and uh, it's ready to start your acceleration uh, due to uh, variable geometry turbos uh, dual sequential turbos uh, single sequential turbos um, you know there's so many different things higher injection pressures for like we said, for, for cleaner and, and, and the injection timing so that it's, they're quiet now as, um, you know, as you can imagine. You can, you can now go through the, the uh, drive-through without having to turn your vehicle off, and you can tow 20,000 pounds, and it doesn't downshift when it hits a grade. Oh, and also, let me add, it gets a lot better fuel mileage. Oh, and it lasts longer, too. And, you know, it has – it drives, and it'll outrun most, uh, most you know, with a tune, and, and it's set up. I mean, it's competitive straight across the board. So why wouldn't you want a diesel? Um, I know the initial price and investment, but there's so many reasons now uh, and so many things out there now. It's just that's the reason why the industry, I'll tell you this, something I was reading the other day, 28% growth in sales last year when everything else was going down. Wow. Diesel went up 28%. Amazing. I'm sold. Keith, jump in here with a question. Well, you know, Cass, what do you, what do you think your – you know, we, we've, like you said, I, I love how you touched on, you know, the, this evolution slash revolution, you know, because I go back to the days, I mean, I, you know, back in the se- late 70s, early 80s, I worked at a GMC truck dealership here, and, you know, I remember what an 871 Detroit sounds like, and, and you know, having that under the hood of your pickups, probably not, because some people may dig it, but uh, it's like, wow, that's a little noisy, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with how quiet they are today, you know, you don't see, you know, we'll say the, the ominous cloud behind it every time they take off, uh, the technology, how that's evolved. What, what do you think that some of your biggest gains that you've seen, you know, with projects you've tackled, you know, I see some of the you know, articles you've done on 6.4s, 6.7s, you know, things that's like, hey, this was great in a stock vehicle, but when we are, you know, we're cranking it up to 1,000 foot-pounds, this is deficient. What do you think one of your biggest challenges, and, and, and your, you know, we'll say you're solved for that, uh, you know, let us know what you think of that or what that is. 
Sure. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is, is that every platform has its own eh, challenge. And there's certain areas where I don't really worry about a block blowing up at 1200 horsepower from a Duramax. Um, there's, mm-hmm. you know, the, as long as we've got a good bottom end. However, you know, some of the six, seven stuff the, on the common side, uh, seeing some of the castings separate at that point in time without a deck plate engine, that starts to be a concern. Um, so every, it's, it's funny because every one of them have their own characteristics and, and their own problems. Um, so, you know, as far as when you're cranking it up, you know, and you're, and you're making a lot more horsepower, um, you know, anything from six liter that doesn't obviously have insufficiencies with a head bolt design. Uh, and we start lifting heads where we're cutting O-rings in the cylinder heads and using that for, you know, a common fix for uh, O-ring cylinder heads and, and upgraded maybe head gaskets and ARP studs and things like that, which is a very basic fix that, you know, it's a very effective fix, but it's not like we're having to go out in left field and, you know, deck plate an engine to make big power. Um, but as it grows and it progresses through that, we're, you know, whereas it might be uh, 11 to 16 six, seven power stroke that came out with a extremely inefficient or insufficient, uh, connecting rod that just will not hold the power, uh, much past, you know, 550, 600 horsepower and they're gone. Uh, maybe even less than that. Uh, so every one of them has their little nuance and, uh, a lot of the things that straight across the board, not to circle, not to, uh, you know, um, kind of put a plug in here but it's just the truth i have to say uh the biggest things that we fight especially when you're making and this is now i'm looking for common denominators in the the question that you asked the common denominator is fuel okay if we're going to get to a thousand foot pound of torque uh if we're going to get to more horsepower we are we're obviously the uh, the equation mandates that we're going to have to add more fuel and more air so the common denominator of all that across no matter what platform it is, is fuel. So the biggest thing that we combat is keeping the fuel out of the oil. And I think that is absolutely key. It doesn't matter if you're a Ford guy. It doesn't matter if you're a Chevrolet guy. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a Ram, Dodge, Chrysler guy. Uh, it doesn't matter because it, it, it is going to affect everyone, and that's obviously ring sealing. And, uh, and Total Seal does a fantastic job with their one-piece ring, We've had great success with that. Um, even on a stock application, um, on some of the earlier, like the 6.4 models and things like that, we've got one bus company. Um, and I don't mean to go back because I know we're talking about high horsepower here. But, you know, we have a bus company that we work with in Georgia. And they have, uh, uh, you know, they were swapping, coming swapping all these uh, Max 4.7 engines out left and right, and they couldn't keep them going. We put it. We put together a package, including you know the one-piece ring from Total Seal, and uh, a certain procedure that we do. Obviously, torque plate honing, but not just torque plate honing, but also making sure that we have uh, emulated the uh, distortion of the bore through testing what the torque spec should be. Not just grabbing and saying, "Okay, ARP calls for you know 260 foot-pound of torque or whatever it is," and and torquing them all down the same. What we're trying to do is emulate that cylinder bore to be able to replicate it once the cylinder heads down so that we can have the absolute best ring seal that we possibly can to keep the fuel out of the oil. So I'm sorry, that's a long-winded question or, or answer to that question, but maybe that kind of gets an insight. 
No, that I'll jump in. No, that's perfect, Cass. I really appreciate that because that is the thing that I see, and, and and it's just not the performance applications. It's the everyday application. You know, the fuel dilution in the diesel. Uh, it, it's you know one. It, it you know it's got it. It's got a lot of it. And you start introducing more fuel, as you just stated, really cranking it up, uh, and the fuel dilution's a, a, a absolute disaster in there. It just kills the oil film. So as you were talking about getting the bore straightened around, getting the bore finishes correct, because as that amount of fuel goes up, we've got to get more oil retention on the bores, uh, and then keeping the fuel out of the oil. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I see. The guys that call me, you know, w- you know, working on these, trying to improve them, it's always about trying to keep that fuel out of the oil. I think that's such a, a, a critical thing to get, you know, to do in these. Uh, another thing that I battle and, and hopefully, you know, some readers will, listeners, I said readers, uh, will, will hear this. You know, a lot of the diesels use, or I should say the most of them, use a keystone-style top ring. And, and for those of you that aren't familiar with it, you know, look at your top ring when you've got it apart. It's shaped like a wedge. So the interesting thing, we, we're increasing horsepower, increasing piston-to-wall clearance, and we're also, when we, when we do that, the ring is coming farther out of the ring groove. So if you look at the shape of the groove compared to, say, a rectangular ring that would be in an automotive application, as the ring comes out of the land in an automotive application with a rectangular piece, the up and down, the vertical clearance does not change. Enter the keystone ring. As we increase the piston to wall, we're pulling the ring further out of the groove. We now have more clearance in land, more up and down clearance. And this is one of the root causes of people you know, quote unquote, burning out the ring groove, torching out the ring groove, is they've created enough clearance in that land now that the flame front will actually go around the ring groove and burn that out. So that has to be addressed in the big horsepower engines as well. Uh, just wanted to, you know, just wanted to point that out and bring that up that that's something that's really important to pay attention to uh, if you're increasing the piston to wall clearance on these engines. Yeah, that's absolutely true, and uh, it only gets worse when you start adding. Um, well, I say it gets worse when you add big injectors, but it also gets worse when you're too small of an injector and you're trying to get as much power as you can because you start spraying way earlier to try to unload the fuel out of that injector, and you wind up spraying longer uh, to try to get it unloaded. So now we're not hitting the combustion bowl like what we once were. Um, our target has became a lot larger uh, than what it was when we were actually using this injector to flow this amount of CC to to be able to to burn out the combustion bowl. So yeah, uh, it only gets even worse because the further out we go, um, now we are getting uh, we're getting away from that combustion bowl that's actually forcing that oxygen back to the center of the cylinder, where you know it it begins to create even more havoc for that ring. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because I was going to ask you about that again, not being a diesel expert and understanding how important that combustion bowl is. So in, in essence, you're kind of saying, hey, you know, maybe, you know, bigger injector, keep it sprayed where it needs to be. Uh, it sounds like maybe that's the way to go. Everything, as you very well know, is application, you know. Um, and it just depends on what the application, you know, you know, so people ask you, I know how that goes. And people ask you that question every day and what you, they want to say, should I, should I go, should I go with this or should I go with that? And you go, yes. And they look at you like, what? And it's like, it all depends. Uh, so yeah, um, depending on where you're at, uh, a bigger injector can actually lower your EGTs. Absolutely. Um, the reason why is because after the party has already happened, the heat, you know, the auto ignition temperature of diesel fuel is 430 degrees. Uh, so we need that just to get the thing to, you know, to ignite. But as we start, um, as we start um, going through the travel of the piston, uh, now as or after it's uh, 
passed over top dead center, um, there's a certain point when the heat uh, begins to, because of the, the thermal expansion, uh, the heat begins to dissipate rapidly through that cylinder. But if we keep spraying in attempt, uh, we can actually just cause our EGTs to get hotter uh, by adding fuel, but we're not actually adding any power. So we get smoky, um, and we start seeing uh, we start seeing higher EGTs. So a better choice would be let's get a bigger injector, let's not spray for as long, uh, and we can unload it a lot more quickly. Um, and uh, so, yeah, application is, is everything. It sounds like something I hear on the Hidden Horsepower podcast very often, like make your first call to us and tell us what you're trying to do with your stuff before you build it. That way we can help you. Doesn't it sound familiar, Keith? Oh, yeah, all day. And I'm sure Cass gets them all the time. You know, we like to use the phrase, hey, make us your first call, not your last, because uh, it, yeah. it, it's way easier to stop the problem before it starts. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, you know, it's not – I'm more inclined for those that have purchased engines from us to make this the first call. <laughs> the guy on the last side that's, you know, running a stock engine, go ahead, send it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> then he's he's going to uh, be a customer then. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. It comes full circle, you know. It's kind of like the guy that, uh, you know, that, that runs the, the windshield repair and also, you know, drives a, a rock truck in the daytime. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. But but what what I'm what I'm hearing though, Cass, is is there are similarities to what we're familiar with and then and then there are some differences that you kind of put uh, the torture chamber that is the com- the combustion chamber is a little more intense in environment, but ultimately the basics like seal it off, keep the fuel and oil apart, those aspects are the same. Yeah, uh, it is. It's very nah, there there's a lot of similarity there. Um, some of the things that we find is a reentrant versus a non-reentrant bowl. The um, okay, uh, let's see. Cummins has been <laughs> Cummins has really learned a lot about combustion bowls, and they flip flopped. You know, they had the early combustion bowl of uh, anything from the twelve valve to they kept experimenting with these bowls. All right, and just let's just don't use anything but the ISB engine, or at least let's narrow it down and say in a pickup truck, because there's a lot of different forms that we could go there, but. But if you look at the piston design, um, they use a reentry bowl. Um, then they went to 124 degree spray pattern, um, and then they wound up changing to 143 degree spray pattern and use a non reentry piston. And um, what wound up happening is, is again, we we're talking about that Ringland issue. You know, anybody that's had 04 and a half to 07 Cummins and had engine failure, most of the time you'll notice that the rings on the top are just gone. They'll generally break a ring. And again, a lot of that has to do with going back to what me, you and I uh, were talking about, Keith, um, with the washout and the ringland wear and the rings breaking because this thing's now just kind of rocking in its in its in its uh, ringland. Um, but it is important that there's proper seal there. But it also emissions are a lot of the reasons for the reentrant style bowl, um, and it's trying to force the oxygen back to the center of the of the cylinder and that's great but then also that does present a problem uh we see it like lml's and we see it a lot in the duramax side and we see it a lot in the six fours where they start cracking pistons because that lip that's on the bowl like a 224-3666 part number is a piston uh from a ford power stroke 6.4 whereas a max 47 
is a three eight five one part number. It uses a, it's the international's version of that, but that lip on that bowl was a lot broader. So if they didn't crack and they didn't have those problems that the the six four power stroke piston did, but they didn't meet the same emission standards either. Um, but what happens is is if you could do a profile view, it's kind of like a teardrop shape as that as the the gases go down in the bowl and they circle back around and kind of like do a two seventy. And when they do, that causes a lot longer um, – it causes for the heat to dwell in the pocket of that piston area. And it will eventually – people always say, my piston's cracked, my piston's cracked. The truth be known is the piston doesn't ever actually crack. What it does is it torches it and puts a tiny pinhole in it. And when that happens, it acts like a watermelon on a hot July day, and it just pops open. You know, And that crack, it becomes a pressure point as the piston's coming up. The pressure you know, goes through that tiny pinhole – it expands and then it just literally makes a crack like across a windshield. And the next thing you do, you know about the guys calling and saying, "Hey, I don't know why, but I cannot keep glow plug harnesses in this engine," you know. And uh, he never dawns on him that, "Hey, I've got crankcase pressure off the, you know, yang yang." And this, uh, but that's that's kind of the typical event that that, that it takes place anyway. Sounds like Cass, you you've got. Uh, obviously, a tremendous amount of knowledge about the uh, you know about the combustion event and what's going on in this thing, which is you know uh, we'll see for those people that don't knew you know know you uh, you know the way we know you you know it, it speaks volumes. I mean, just you 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 deep dive this stuff like you know, like nobody else that I know. It's it's we'll say it's always fun uh, to be around cast and talk about this stuff. But where I was going uh, next was now the stuff that you do. You know we we keep you know. Uh, you think of diesel, I mean, you know, in today's world, we're always thinking of, you know, light, I'll call it light to medium duty, you know, pickup trucks type stuff. But do you dive into the larger engines? Because you had also mentioned about diving into the smaller engines. And have you worked on a lot of, you know, we'll say the more, you know, the big stuff, the heavy duty stuff. Yeah, so we'll take it up to about class four. <clears throat> and from there, the market is just so, there's so much to do where we're at i mean there's there's no way in the world yet um now that being said okay so the place we came from was an eight thousand square foot facility building it was tiny and i built on it four times in four years um and this has been several years back uh but here's a recent we moved from eight thousand square feet to one hundred and fifty-five thousand square feet um wow. and we were able to purchase the building the facility that we're in moved to that like nine and a half acres. We went from 18 people to now 34, 35 people. Uh, so we were just overwhelmed and still are um, with the industry that we're in. I think there's just enough meat there that we haven't really pursued, you know, the C-15 and some of, you know, going even further into, you know, the heavy iron, we call it. But uh, that's something that we've considered. Um, but there's there are, there, there are so many, fast it's 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 amazing how far you can go in this industry um and how many opportunities that there are uh in our industry uh so i don't know if i'll ever get into the you know the over the road stuff um we've done we do machine work uh sometimes for, for those um for those engines but what we're known for i don't want to get outside of you know um too much uh, of what I want to be really, really good at something, but not okay at a lot of things and uh, try to focus that. And I have a tendency as a business owner and as a guy that just loves engines and is just curious and likes to know as much as he can about as many different things. Uh, my wife will tell you I'll drive her nuts because I'll stay up at night and just 
watch video after instructional video until she's two. <laughs> I got go in the other room. I'm sick of it. But I mean, I'm over there going, man, in 1932, this is how they were building. Now look at it, and she's asleep. You know, I'm shaking her. Look, look. You know, you know. But to <laughs> me, it's just it's fascinating. I love it. It's cool. Um, but now the big stuff um, we are not as well known for, and and like I said, I'm not gonna. I, I don't have any intention in the few in the near future. Uh, uh, pursuing that market. Let's stay on that. And let's stay on the personal stuff, Keith. If I if I might, because I think it's interesting. And Cass, I know you you play guitar. You're a musician. You're into you're into a lot of stuff. So you're like a well rounded guy, kind of like a Renaissance guy. How did this? Except for diesel engines, of course. How did this uh, start for you? Like, where did this all come from? Were you always mechanically inclined, kid? Like, how did you get to this place where you are? <laughs> all right. So I grew up. Um, my dad was, my dad could not, and I love him to death, but the man could not screw in a light bulb if his life depended on it. My mother was changing the oil when they were, when she was expecting. Um, and my dad <laughs> would hold a flashlight first. He had no clue what in the world. He couldn't do anything with that. And my brother used to say, look, I would tell him, I said, look, I, I was a little kid. I said, teach me how to change the weed eater cord. And he said, stay stupid. They'll quit asking you to do stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't. That. <laughs> and he and I couldn't help myself, but uh, there was an older guy across the street that um, he would fix four wheelers and stuff. Uh, just three back in the day, it was three wheelers. Um, and anyways, I would hang out with him, boat motors and stuff. Uh, we had old Honda 185, and I wanted to learn how to rebuild the engine so bad I couldn't stand it. Uh, and my uncle, who was like Sling Blade, he was in an accident when he was 20 years old. Uh, but he was just known in Mississippi for small engine repair. But I, I promise you, he was just like, I mean, he was just like Carl off Sling Blade. I mean, just everything about him was just, but he was great at fixing small engines. And uh, he, my, my grandmother passed away, and, and he moved up here. And I hung out with him. He taught me how to lap valves on his kitchen table because that was the way he was. It would, There was nothing sacred. Like, you know, you go into a woman's house and, oh, you don't do that. Take your shoes off. Not him. He was like, we'll build, we'll build the engine right here in front of the floor. Just move the couch out of the way. You know, that's just the way he was. But um, anyway, so I got into uh, my my dad was in the appliance. Uh, he was in the appliance business, but he paid a guy to fix appliances. And my brother uh, learned how to work on appliances uh, from another gentleman. And he came back and he was 16, 17, and I was 10. I can tell you this much. I was 10 years old. There's three half-inch bolts in the bottom of a GE washing machine. I could break them loose, but I didn't have the strength to pull the basket out. I saw myself. So I would have to get them to come over and, and pull the basket out so I could fix the washer. And I, was, I remember doing that when I was 10. Um, but I was just always inquisitive of how something works. It was just amazing to me. And I grew up in a, you know, later we, we moved out to a farm. And um, anyways, watching stuff like that. And I would, we would deliver, my folks had a furniture appliance store, so when I would uh, drive around with my brother delivering furniture, I wasn't old enough to drive, uh, but we'd deliver furniture. And I'd say, hey, pull over there. they got a go-kart out in the front yard. So he'd pull over, and I'd knock on the door, and here I am, 11, 12-year-old kid, knocking on the door. And we had a little white Bell South truck, and um, I would buy the go-kart that was just sitting out, you know, because I'm riding around, take it back to the house and tinker with it and get it running, play with it for, you know, whatever time of year it was. And then if it was near Christmas time or whatever, I'd sell it and have some money. Um, but I was always asking older men, like when we went to church, there was a guy, he was real good. He worked at the small engine place and I would get to be buddies with him. And the great thing about, it's not just this industry, but older people 
typically they will they want to share the knowledge that they that they possess um and i was just a you know it, it, it they would always take a liking to me because look can i cut your front yard i mean i don't care if it were i wanted to learn how to do something if, can i cut your grass can i weed eat can i do whatever if you'll just teach me how to do this and um they were always really willing to teach me and i would learn and i would and so it kind of went and progressed that way and i grew up uh had a good understanding of schematics from my appliance days and uh uh, after I learned how to read, there's certain basic things that you that really will help you as a technician, and one of them is just the simple, you know, learning how to read schematics and, and how those things, you know, how that kind of works. And I got into um, buying and selling trailers, and I was going down to Texas, and when I went down there, I noticed everybody has a diesel truck and a ranch hand mopper. It's like I, it's, it's prerequisite to being a, a, te- a, a Texan. It's like welcome to Texas. Here's your diesel truck. Here's your ranch hand bumper. I mean, everybody has it. So while I was down there, I noticed, man, if I'm buying all these trailers, why don't I just buy trucks and I'll put the trucks on the trailers, I'll drive them back, and I'll figure out how to fix them. Um, and my, a friend of mine had went to NADC. He dropped out, and I bought all his books from him. And um, so I started working on this stuff on the side. And, and uh, I wound up um, going from there, and uh, 2008 hit. Everything tanked. I was doing light duty stuff. Um, you know, I was doing, um, I say injectors, clutches. Uh, I wasn't to the point of doing what we do now as far as in depth in it. But after that, um, my truck broke. Um, after I got married, uh, I, I, I prayed about a diesel truck. I needed a diesel truck. And this was shortly after 2010, I guess it was, something like that. But anyways, when my truck broke, I uh, called a buddy of mine, and it was going to need extensive work. And he told me, hey, it's going to be this much. And I said, you know, if I pay you, I'll never stop paying. I'm, I guess I'm just going to try to figure it out on my own. So I did. And then as soon as I got done doing that, a buddy of mine called me and said, hey, you fixed your truck. Uh, my dad, he's taking his truck to five different shops. You think you could fix it? And I've never been one to say no on anything. I was like, sure, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I'm going over there with a voltmeter, and that's the only thing I've got to diagnosis. Like, I don't have a scan tool. All I had was a was a voltmeter and, and a wiring schematic, um, and it was tough, but I did it and I got it figured out. And um, anyways, that kind of put me. I, I realized, hey, you know, I need to make money. I got married. I got to provide. I got to do something. So it was always, you know, never say no and, and keep your uh, keep your hands moving and your ears open. Wow, Keith. Wow, this guy's impressive. Oh, mm-hmm. a- a- absolutely. It's uh, we'll just say it's always fun to sit down to dinner with Cass. It, it's you know, his background's kind of similar to mine, and, and, and it's that drive to to want to learn, to want to know, uh, and to take the classes. I remember my days, you know, coming up, you know, drafting classes, electronics classes, you know, everything I could take, everything I could do, because it all comes, like, like Cass said, you know, being able to sit down and read a schematic and know, hey, you know, it starts at point A, it ends in point B. You know, there's a problem somewhere between here and here. Uh, you, know, to, you know, to have that and, and the same experience as, you know, growing up that, you know, hey, you got to dive in and learn this stuff and, and, and figure it out. It's uh, it, it's great to be around like-minded uh, persons in this industry. It's 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 always an honor and a privilege to you know to you know just say he said you know talk to the older guys and absorb that information. I'm over here absorbing everything that I can get out of Cass because you know he he's the expert in this field and 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 I'm you know we'll say I'm learning quickly and I appreciate that. 
one question for you, Cass. You know, when we're working on these engines, you know, whether it's gas engine, diesel engine, you know, they all have a design compromise. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, of course, price to produce the part, emissions, power, there's always that compromise. And you're, you know, always fixing that, tweaking that, you know, the block's not strong enough, so we've got to, you know, we've got to deck it or have an aftermarket block made better head, better, have you, you know, is it in you, and I'm sure it is, it's, you know, to design a clean sheet of paper, you know, knowing all the good things, all the bad things, you know, designing a head, designing the piston, designing the whole thing, clean sheet, uh, you know, where are you at on that, or is that even a dream? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't, <laughs> who, you know, you can't be a gearhead and, and with a machine shop and, and not have uh, some projects in the works. So we're definitely uh, working on, you know, the, the kicker is there's certain, there's certain parts of it that it depends on how deep you want to go because, you know, designing billet blocks that are strictly for race and, you know, strictly a race application that's one thing. There's, you know, always a casting issue for, you know, a wet block. So it it's limitations there. We're working on some cylinder heads um, for race application. Uh, we're working on um, a lot of parts that, you know, we have designed um, parts in the in the past that would fix the problems. As far as a completely clean sheet, we're working on a project right now that um, is going to be strictly you know, it'll be a strictly race race application. Unfortunately, the limitation of of, um, of castings and things like that are, are going to be um, for for a uh, uh, for an individual use, um, a daily driver type thing. It's just not there because there's just no way to machine some of this stuff without having casting. But um, there's definitely um, some things in the work for the Ford guys, and that's that's a big uh, that's a big big market for us. So uh, we're, we're working hard on that right now. And, and, you know, you take many things that Ford's done in the past. They kind of did that with a 6.7 where they took things that they liked about the 6.0s and 6.4s and things they liked about some of the gasoline stuff. And they kind of just like a hodgepodge and they just put it all together. Um, and that was pretty cool to see. Uh, there's a lot of bolt-on stuff, though that we can still work off of a really good platform with some of the things that we're working on, even take the very best of the, say for instance, like the six fours or the six sevens, find the issues that they've got because, you know, people aren't going to be able to buy for a daily, for a daily driver, uh, something that they're using every day. They may not be able to afford a clean sheet, you know, and us to completely redesign everything, but they, we, we were able to hit the, the areas of failure, um, six sevens, the huge issues of um, startup starvation for oil. Now uh, we've been able to address those, but um, but anyways, I kind of took a long way around the barn there. But as far as the, the racing world, uh, the Ford stuff, I can't really, I don't, I, I really don't want to put it out there just yet what we're working on. But we definitely have uh, some things in in the, in the work, and I'm hoping. The end of this year, first part of next year, I'd I'd love to be able to to release it for PRI. A tease. A tease on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal. (laughs) And if this episode doesn't get you to subscribe and uh, write a review, I don't know what would. Cass, this has been amazing. I got one more question. Keith, get ready with one more question, and then I'm going to ask you about uh, advice to the next generation, which, by the way, you really kind of already gave it. 
but maybe you could elaborate. But you had a great line about, uh, you know, listen and, and, you know, don't make a fuss and do your work, that kind of thing. Keep your hands busy. I, f- I forget exactly what you said, but it was great. But I want to ask you just as someone who is interested in the, the potential curve of, of these engines, like clearly the potential curve. I don't know. It feels like we're still at, at kind of the beginning, right? I remember a time when diesels weren't even really a thing in, uh, in pickup trucks and now they're everywhere. And now seeing them go so fast and you're making all kinds of parts and you're making a living, like how far along that potential curve do you think we are as opposed to a, you know, a standard V8, like you talked about, you know, the coyotes and the LSs and those engines that came out kind of advanced that like, wow, all of a sudden they did something new and they got more potential to create power. What about with these diesels? How far along are we? The limitation for the diesel for the OE is always going to be their niche um, and what they're, they're, they're designing everything around. We're seeing engines now that are making 450 horsepower, 910,000 foot-pound torque, you know, right out of the gate. Right, You could drive it off the lot today and make 1,000 pound-feet of torque. Um, the compacted graphite iron is only better than what we had in the past. The materials, the limitations that we've had before were always a material one. Uh, this, I mean, nobody knows that better than Keith. I mean, seeing that in the ring land, or excuse me, in the ring world. So... We're seeing steel pistons that are from the coming from the factory. Steel pistons now. That, that's just unheard of. Um, who'd have thought that 10 years ago? It's absolutely mandatory because we're seeing 36,000 pounds of rail pressure. Um, so they're not going to do anything more than what they have to sometimes, I feel like. But the reason why they're, they're doing it now is because they have to because it's, so, it's such a competitive market. Like I said in the beginning, 28% now. That's what the growth margins were from last year when everything was, you know, going under. You know, the, the other thing that actually picked up, too, and I'm not trying to sell diesel here, but the other thing that picked up, too, one of the biggest markets that picked up last year was the camping market. Everybody's got a camper now because nobody wanted to stay at home. So yes. that being said, there are there are many, many, many more diesel um, versions of vehicles now than there have ever been, which has allowed for more research and and, and more growth in those areas. Um, I think that we're just seeing, honestly, I know that California is saying that by the year, what, 2030 or something, they're not uh, going to allow uh, diesels anymore. I think, to be honest with you, a lot of stuff that you're hearing out right now, it's just, uh, uh, I don't think I would put too much stock in it. I think that they, you know, it sounds good when you say it, um, but the reality of it is it's just not possible. And they, Ford has invested and continued to invest in their platform, and I think they've pushed that thing just absolutely. Um, it's, an, it's incredible to see what they've done in the last 10 years with the 6.7. I, mean, I, I, I see that the future of, of diesel is definitely a bright one. Excellent. Keith, final question. Well, I want a, a question and a comment. You know, and one thing that you know, the cast mentioned about the steel pistons that are out now, and, and because of you know, rail pressures, you know, the heat we're dealing with, the power output, uh, you know, we've started developing our HSS 
you know, you know high-speed steel top rings for the diesel application. We've had to push that ring so far. You know, we're dealing. You know, we're talking in the gas world. This is pro mod level stuff. You know, to survive that world and to be able to handle the heat, the power output they have. You know, it is that we've had to develop new, you know, new material technologies, new coating technologies, because guys like Cass are pushing this, you know, this technology, this engine technology so far. Uh, but the question for Cass, and this is kind of going back to, we'll say your youth. What what was the defining moment? Where was you know where was that divergence from a gas guy to a diesel guy? Yeah, you because know, you get guys who race gas motors, they don't ever think about diesel. Diesel guys aren't racing gas stuff. So there, somewhere there was that thing. You know, it was like you know, was it you know the farm? Was it you know the trip to Texas? <laughs> you know, when was it, or was it a you know a, even a conscious thought that you know was, oh you know I'm not a, a gas performance guy, I'm a diesel performance guy. You know, it, it, we'll just say expand. <laughs> you know. I don't know that anybody's ever asked me that question, and that's a really good question. I think uh, my brother, <clears throat> my brother has passed away and he's gone on to the Lord, but um, in 2000, I'll remember. This goes to show you, just it's funny, this goes to show you how people are so far removed from diesel. I remember going with him, and we were test driving. We had, I had no clue back then anything about diesel. This, and you know salesmen, they will actually, this is the dumbest thing ever, but salesmen, we're, we're sitting in a second-gen body style at that time, like 99 or 2000. And anyways, the guy goes, yeah, this thing actually, you know, these things come from the factory. There's a rod knock in them. I mean, of course, they're large things. Like, looking back, you're like, what, what are you smoking, man? This is like your first day on the job. Hello, you know, or whatever. But he's trying to sell us this truck. But, oh, yeah, Cummins is this, Cummins is that, you know. We were clueless, but a friend of his that was actually in the appliance business, he had a 7.3, and he swore by 7.3. I mean, it was just – he's a typical 7.3 guy. I mean, there is no other diesel engine out there on the market. you know. But he bought a new truck uh, in 2000, and when he bought that truck, he always wanted a Chevrolet. Always wanted that. And then 2001, they came out with the Duramax. And I was just enough – because I always wanted to – I'm a younger brother. Everybody out there can relate to this. If you're a younger brother, you always want to up one-up your older brother simply because he's the guy to impress. It's not the kid down the street. It's not anybody else. It's not even your dad. It's your older brother. That's your that's – your, in, in a weird way, that's kind of like – for me anyway, it's kind of like my father figure. But I always wanted to impress him. But I knew that he wanted a Duramax, and they came out with it the next year, right? So that was 2001 was the first year that they were actually putting the Duramax engine, and he was a Chevrolet guy hardcore. So I went and <laughs> I remember going and test driving the Duramax and bringing it to the house to show him, you know. And I was just being a little bit antagonistic because he was not a Ford guy by any stretch of imagination, um, but they didn't have it then. So once I got in that, that was that was life changing. I mean, once that introduced me to the diesel world, and I mean, I was hooked. And there was no such thing as a you know, any other engine at that point in time, it, it has to be diesel. So I guess that's what did it. Amazing. Amazing. He's Cass Choate from ChoatePerformance.com, Choate Engineering Performance. Uh, Cass, we always ask everybody, you know, there's another generation of people coming up. They're out there. They're interested. Maybe they realize that they're mechanical. Um, we hear about the next generation and our listeners they seem to be very hot on all of this. So what advice would you give them how to go from where they are to where they want to be? Stay low, stay humble. And uh, if you know an older guy that knows a whole lot, see if he needs his grass, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of the uh, the best uh, advice that, that I've 
that I guess I could give. Yeah, just people like to help humble people. Nobody really likes a prideful person. And um, if you can stay low and keep your mouth mouth closed, ears open, and uh, be willing to put in the, the, for lack of a better term, the sweat equity. Um, that's I think that's the best advice that uh, that I could give to the the younger generation. Whether a guy succeeds or he fails, typically it's going to be directly related to his willingness to work. So when opportunity does not, by some uncanny quirk, it often goes unnoticed. It so resembles work. Wow! Excellent, excellent, excellent advice, Keith. How great was this? Absolutely fantastic, Cass. I got to tell you, words to live by what you just said. And and like I said, if I was there right now, I would shake your hand, brother. <laughs> well, uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. And uh, man, I greatly appreciate y'all having me on. Oh, it was fantastic. I know this is going to be a very popular episode. Uh, I really appreciate you, and you've got an, an enthusiasm and an ability to communicate. And to me, what's great is that, you know, relatively new in your endeavor, right? You're not one of these people who have been around a long time, and you've had rapid, extreme growth, and you're innovating, and you're doing new things, and you're willing to share your knowledge, and that is all great stuff, and that's why you were on Hidden Horsepower. Cass, thank you so much. Good luck with Chode Engineering Performance, and uh, I hope to see you at the Next Engine Performance Expo, and uh, we'll have some more good times. Thank you for coming on Hidden Horsepower. I'm looking forward to it, fellas. Thank you all again. If you need anything, you got my number. Thank you very much. Thanks, Cass. Cass Choate with us here on Hidden Horsepower. Keith, my goodness, my head is spinning. I don't know what was better, the information about the diesels or the motivation that we got. Yeah, Cass is, you know, Cass is just, you know, one of those great, great individuals that's driven. He's intelligent. He communicates extremely well. Uh, you know, I, for anybody that's looking for work to be done, that's in his ballpark. I, I couldn't recommend anybody else more highly. Uh, he is he is a, an absolutely fantastic guy and a great soul. So, for our audience, who I would imagine, because Cass is on our diesel, the diesel crowd out there, in addition to our normal hidden horsepower listeners, all you diesel folks out there, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. We're going to do this again, but uh, I think there's some things to learn from our previous and future guests as well, and you will enjoy the show. But what about Total Seal? What can you do for the diesel folks out there? Oh, we've got a lineup for just about you know every engine. Cast just mentioned you know from the you know from the small little Kubota diesel tractors. And-